Rodwell, thank you. And also, thank you for time while my heartbeat got settled down there. Oh, okay. Um, I can't tell you what a joy it is to be back home. Um, you know, as we got on the plane, I told Jennifer, I said, you know, there's one place in the world, of all the places we've been, that I actually feel second home. And I think it's because of the years and the relationships and the connections. And this week at camp, I, my role was different. It's such a joy to watch Rodwell and Ocelian and Gosa and Bronwyn and all the staff there lead camp. It's, it, it makes me so proud. And it gave me time to just make connections. And that's what home's all about, and I'm so grateful for that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you have ever felt pain in your life? Times of anxiety, confusion, depression, hurts, pain. Come on, raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. Thank you. Life is about pain. No matter where I go, no matter who I see, no matter who we are, where we come from, there's one thing that we have in common among many, but there's one thing that we have in common is all of us experience hurt and pain. Various different levels for di various different reasons. And it's so easy to kind of look over in this section and think, oh, the, the pain, they're younger, it's trivial. Wait till you get over here. And if you get to, no, it's their pain, it's pain. And we all have it. Now, what if I told you you could eat something and you could have peace through that pain would you eat it yeah you know we would now i might not have it every meal although that might not be bad but i would definitely take it and i would feast on it and so today i'd like to share with you my recipe of peace through some pain that I'm experiencing. This, the theme of camp this week is grit. It's the perseverance and passion over an extended period of time. And our theme uh, verse was Romans 5, 3 through 5, which says, We glory in our sufferings. For our sufferings brings perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not lead us to shame. Now, I don't know what word sticks out to you, but the word that sticks out to me is glory. Really? Whoa, I have cancer. Come on over and party with me. No, I don't think so. But I do think that there is an appreciation that God wants us to have for the things that we suffer. And by the way, let me define suffering for you. I tried to come up with something so that it's universal. Wherever I go, the definition fits. No matter what you're going through, you're going through, you're going through, or what I'm going through. And here's my definition. Anything you do not want. Yes, you had to park way over here and walk way over here. It is a mild form of suffering, I guess, but you don't want it. And then there are more tragic, deeper, long-lasting, 
grievous, hard moments that you don't want. I think sometimes we get fooled that a pain-free life is available. I know where I'm from. We do everything. We, it's funny. When, when times are hard in the U.S., do you know what goes up? Movie tickets. People go to the movies. Let me escape. We medicate. We hide in entertainment. We just hide. There's so many ways. And what we're trying to say is, man, can we just have a painless life? That's a myth. It's a myth. But we can have a peaceful life. That's a promise. And so I'd like to share with you a little bit about some of my pain. In order to do that, I'd like to, you know, a lot of you have met my family, obviously Jennifer. Some of you have met my kids because uh, they've been here at camp. It's been a few years, but they've been here. And Nicholas was actually, you know, came back here. Of all the places in the world, Dad, I want to go to South Africa. Connections, yeah, I love it. So thank you for hosting him, for all of you that took care of him. Oh, that was awesome. But for those of you who don't know, obviously Jennifer on the right. Woo, man. I'm sorry. Sorry, I got distracted. My bad, my bad. In the middle is my daughter, Samantha. She's my firstborn. And then on the left is Nicholas. And this was taken. We were on a trip to Greece. Um, uh, my in-laws paid for it. Woo, marry well, man. Marry well. Yeah. I don't know what I did, but uh, Greece, yes. And so I'd like to focus a little bit on that beautiful young lady there in the middle. Now, you got to understand, uh, next slide, please. You got to understand that uh, when I wanted kids, I knew I wanted a girl first. I've always wanted a girl. I've wanted to spoil her, my little princess. I wanted to uh, raise her up and tell her how beautiful she is, take her on dates. I wanted to um, be able to, you know, just, uh, just have this really romantic relationship and in fact, you know, we go to the doctor and what's that thing called, honey? You know, when you do the, um, yeah, that thing. You know, you look at this, yeah, the baby and you find out, you know, what sex it is. I didn't even go in. Jennifer was not happy with that. I was like, it's a girl. Can we leave? And okay, I went in. It's a girl. I said, told you, can we get out of here? I knew it was a girl because I wanted a girl. And so I had my girl and we had that kind of relationship and uh, we would go on dates and drink hot chocolate, and we would uh, do all kinds of things together. And she became a Christian when she was 16. And by the way, just so you know, little asterisks here, everything I'm about to share with you, she knows that I've shared and talked very open about it, and, um, and she's fine with it. So I just want to make sure you don't think I'm, you know, talking behind her back on another continent. Okay. Um, but uh, she became a Christian at 16. She loved her teen ministry. She loved basketball more than anything. Her senior year in high school, she gave basketball up because it was just getting too worldly, just an influence on her, and that was a big cost to count for her. And she wanted to give more time to her teen ministry. She did that. She went off to school, uh, varsity, and she went the first couple years. And then about uh, two years in, she started having mental health problems, just what uh, Neil announced here. It is real, and it's serious. And she began to, um, 
bouts of depression. She tried to kill herself four times. She began to question her faith. Why would God make this difficult? Why would this happen? And then she began to realize other things that were inside of her, things that were really difficult to her, for her to share with me and Jennifer and really the world. She shared that she's same-sex attracted and felt guilty about that for years and didn't know what to do with it. And, of course, we're learning so much as really as churches all over the world how to deal with that. In our household, we're learning about that. And to my shame, when she first came out and told me that, I did not handle it well. I was scared, and I was angry. I was like, what? And I was uh, envisioning, uh, what? You know, I won't give her away to somebody. I mean, all these things. And my first comment was, well, I wish you would have told me you were pregnant. And the minute I said it, and I've groveled, and we have talked, and she's forgiven me, and I vowed then. Mm. But the story didn't stop there. She began to... Again, she lost her faith about this time. She was questioning. She walked away from church. She began to be with a different community. And then she figured out, oh, by the way, this right here is, we were at my mom's. And uh, I didn't know my, you know, we needed a time away. So this was during that depressive time. And we were walking at the park and uh, talking, and my mom snapped this picture, and it's just very dear to me. It's during that time. Next slide. Now, I put this up here because this is uh, the last, this is my memory of Samantha at a, at a daddy-daughter retreat, and we're dancing, and I love that look on her face. That's what I remember. I don't know what that guy on the left is doing. Ah, I, I don't know, but, but this picture, because you see what happened, this is what sticks in my mind, my beautiful, fun, sparkly eyes, little girl, that we dream together. We are a lot alike, and we dream what she told us not long afterwards is that she wants to transgender and become a man. And so this, this picture sticks in my mind. Next slide. And this is Xander, Alexander Joy. Uh, I'm sorry, Alexander Eli on the left. Taking hormones, changing, has had operations. I have a new child. And by the way, her friends all told her, said, you should get rid of her, your mom and dad. You know what they believe. You know what they're going to say. And she said, no way. He said, no way. I've hit the lottery, the parent lottery. And I'm so grateful for that. Still wants to have a relationship. Now, that relationship is being redefined. I don't know how to have a relationship with her right now, with him. I'm learning I'm learning more. I thought I knew what unconditional love was. But I am learning. It's the hardest thing for me to do to say he and Xander and to look at that person and to think I used to eat hot chocolate with you. Where's my little girl and what have you done with her? I thought my hardest, saddest days were when I was growing up with an abusive mom and a drug addict and a loneliness and, and being heavy and teased and last, and this takes the cake. So there is pain. And I had, to, I had to figure out how to deal with that pain. This story is not about Samantha Alexander. This story is about me because now it's in my lap. 
And what am I going to do with it? And I'd like to share with you my recipe of peace, things that I am working on. In fact, as I walked this morning and prayed, I thought, God, these are things I'll probably be working on for a while. Because you see, things don't have to change with her. Next slide, please. Things don't have to change with her. They've got to really change with me. And I've got to stay consistent and love God. And this is heavy stuff. I'm like, I feel alone. I don't know anybody. Marry me, very few people I know. In the, and as I go around the world, I'll ask, anybody got this kind of thing going on? Not many of us. And I feel super alone. I don't know. I'm learning. I feel like I'm a brand new Christian trying to learn all over again. I've got to find peace through this pain. Okay. Next slide. So I'm going to share with you a recipe. Hebrews 11. The first, the first ingredient in this recipe is God is real. He's real. Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, just many of you in here, you're thinking, what? God is real? Well, duh. If he wasn't, well, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be playing rugby or soccer or something. You're like, What? But I promise you, if it hasn't happened already, it will happen. There will be something painful in your life so much, it will make you question the existence of God. And that's real. And I had to go back. Now, the truth is, I've never, never in my life have I ever had a time where I didn't think God was real. I haven't. I can't remember. I don't, I think... I don't know, from the womb, God knitted me together. I came out. I cannot tell you a time. I could tell you my first Jesus moment, five years old. I can tell you where I was sitting. I was sitting on the floor on my stomach like this, watching the TV. Back then, they would show, this was around Easter. I was about a little over five. Um, and uh, they sh the, the show is called The Greatest um, Show on Earth. Not Greatest Show on Earth. The Greatest Story on Earth. And it's about the, the resurrection. It's about Easter. And there's a scene in there where, you know, the people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so my little squeaky voice, I'm sitting down there. All of a sudden I go, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, you should have seen my mother. She jumped out of the scene. Zone, William Jeffrey, what are you saying? And I knew I was in trouble. I was like. And then I turned around to her and I said, but mama. If he doesn't die, I have no hope. Now, where does a five-year-old get that from? I couldn't have told you why. I couldn't have articulated. Uh, no, I wasn't ready to study the Bible with people then. I mean, I just, I didn't know. But I knew enough. And I thank God for that. But this rocked my world as far as, is God real? Really, God? Oh, I don't know. And I had to go back, and I had to really explore my doubts 
And that's what this is about, exploring doubts. If we can't be a people that can be open and share our doubts and get back in the scriptures and reestablish our faith, then what in the world is vulnerability all about? And especially with our young people, they've got to. They've got to be able to explore their doubts. There's a study done in the U.S. and that people were trying to ask the question, why do 18-year-olds leave church? And so they did a uh, very, um, there's a word I'm looking for, a wide study across denominations and people all across the states. And they, they found out two reasons. And they're not in any order, they're just two reasons. The first one was is they don't have any relationships with people older in the congregation. Faith is built by experiences. When a Jew reads the Bible, it's not about data and knowledge and all this. It's about experiences that build faith, connections. That's why it was so important for me to have connections and meet people and see people again and hug and appreciate them and new connections. They build our faith. But the second reason was very interesting. They found out that young people were not allowed to doubt. They felt this way. I'm not allowed to doubt. <gasps> You're raised in the kingdom's kid and you doubt God. Oh my gosh. Well, of course. You've doubted. Well, why do you think they're not going to? We all have to wrestle. In fact, I'm convinced that without doubts, there's no faith. And so we must wrestle. And this is like flour in the cake. I mean, there is no cake without flour, right? Sorry, I like cake. Jennifer makes this cake. Man, it is called Carol's Sheet Cake. And uh, we used to, when we were sitting around, this was a long time ago, about 10 o'clock at night, we would get a, you know, a hankering for chocolate, and all of a sudden, let's make Carol's Sheet Cake. Woo! By, by 10.45, we are gathering. Mm-hmm. I can't do that anymore. But um, I love cake. This is the flour in the cake. God is real. And if we don't say that, the Bible teaches us that we cannot even please God. We have got to allow doubts to come out. We've got to let them explore and be able to talk about them and then go back to the scriptures. You see, God is not going to run just because I doubt him. He's been real. The truth is, he's real whether I believe him or not. No matter who believes him, he's real. There's enough evidence of that. There's enough experiences. There, everything. He's not going to get worried about my doubts. I think he likes when I ask questions. Can you imagine in the garden? First place there was doubt, right? Did God really say, don't eat of any tree? Can you imagine how that story would have turned out if Adam and Eve would have went, hey, man, that's a really good question. Let's go ask God. Whoa. God, my first doubt. I don't know what to do with it. What do you think? Boom. Answer. So it's okay. Let's, let's, let's get these out, and let's, let's get our faith that God is real. That's the first ingredient. The second ingredient I'd like to introduce with a question. How many of you think that God is sovereign but not in control? Sovereign. What I mean by sovereign all-powerful, can do anything, anytime, anywhere, any person, any way he wants to. So he's sovereign, but he's not in control. How many of you believe that? Interesting. That's about what I get when I've asked that question all over. There's, there's about six of us that go, 
Then there's like 20 of us that are like, <laughs> trick question, I'm sure. And the rest of us are waiting. Yeah, okay, we'll wait. Now. <laughs> I believe this question is yes, it's true. Here's why I think that. Ah, God is sovereign, but he gives us choice. Why? Because our choices tell us what we love. People talk about time. There's no such thing as time. There's only priorities. Your priorities and your choices tell you how you use your time. So it's our choices, our hearts, our thinking. It's about what we choose. God said, you know what? I'm sovereign, but I'll let you have a free mind, free will. I'll let you choose. Now, the cool thing about God, and this is a whole other lesson, is he is sovereign enough to kind of take all our choices and figure out things and his purpose and all of that. That's amazing. I, that, I don't know. So we live in a world where the choices that people make can lead us to some interesting questions. You see, I can't make Samantha be Samantha. 26 years old, I, I crawl up. I, will, I find myself sometimes in my kitchen in a fetal position crying, or I'll see something, a picture or something, and it just hurts. And I just want to, out of my anger, I just want to call, what are you doing? I can't. Neither can God. Now, God has the power to do whatever, but he, and I have to live with these choices because we live in that kind of world. And they lead us to questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Is God dead? Why would he let these things happen? I remember one time in a teen ministry, I brought that question in. You know, why do good things happen? I mean, bad things happen to good people. And I wrote it up on the board, and I said, let's discuss this question. We're going to take it word by word. Why? Okay, that's an interesting word. Why? Can anybody answer why? about anything. I don't know, why can be a really frustrating question. Sometimes why, most time why is a question that's way above my pay grade. Not to mention my IQ, I'm telling you. And so I thought, you know what, since that question is kinda out of there, we're gonna throw it out. So now we're down to bad things happen to good people. And this is the simplified version, we had a great discussion that night. And I, we started talking about bad and good. Who determines bad and good? Well, of course I do, and it's all based on what I want. Now we're back to the theme. If it's something I don't want, then it's bad. If it's something I want, then it's good. So all of a sudden now I'm in control. Instead of looking to the sovereign God and let him decide what's bad or good. Because he knows me. He's real. He marked out a race. He picked everything for me. It's like he tailored life for me. And he tailored life for you. But I'm the one sitting here going, no, that's good, that's bad, I don't know. So we throw out bad and good. Now we just have things happen to people. And that leads to the question, what can I do about that? And that's where servants come in, because I can answer that question. And that's, that's how we ought to think about that question. But because we live in a, a, a world where choice is given to us, but we cannot allow the choices that people make to question the sovereignty of God. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. I carry around a Bible that says Samantha Roraba on it. So I, I carry it around all around the world. One day I'm going to give it back to her. But gum, it has got the smallest print on it. I'm like, I'm like, golly. I should have given her a Bible with big letters or something. Anyway. Um, 
Chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Okay, you got I love science. I was a chemistry major. I get into the cosmos. I, it's amazing to me. I love the Starlight Devotional. I won't go into it, but it was a Starlight Devotional that God had with me that basically converted me, broke me of my sin, helped me to see good bigness, smallness, and the impact my sin has. But think about the universe for a minute. It says Jesus created. He sustains. Do you realize what had to be invented before the first star was made? Mathematics, optics, physics, calculus, algebra, geometry, and then the world, cytology, biology, biochemistry, nuclear strong forces, gravitational forces. I mean, there's so much, all the elements. Everything had to be created in, in Jesus' little lab. I can imagine, God, look what I made. Look at, oh, can you imagine? Woo, woo, hey, yeah, out comes the earth. And then finally he says, okay, my science project is done. God, how you doing? Man, that's great, son. Oh, he puts it on the fridge, pushes the button, and boom, out comes the universe. <laughs> but that had, we just read these words and we go by it. It, it. Rabbis call this the lullaby effect. When you read something so much that it just lulls you to sleep, you don't stop and think. He created everything. He is the master of molecules. And regardless of what choices have been made that affects my pain or your pain, he's still the master of molecules. And I cannot sacrifice my conviction about that. My belief that Jesus is sovereign is directly proportional to my trust in him. And so I've got to go back to this ba basic ingredient. God is real, yes, got that one. Whew. Is he sovereign, though? Why would he let this happen? Why? I don't want this. In fact, I struggle with hating it, even though I'm trying to love. My relationship with Xander now, I can text easy. Woo, I love texting. It's hard to talk because her voice is deeper. And I get really uncomfortable when I'm around her in person because I see, I want to see Sam, but I see this Xander. And I get tense, and I'm trying to relax. And I'm trying to be genuine. And I'm trying to develop love. I'm also trying to do that with God because I'm wrestling with his sovereignty and relax and find my place, find myself in that place again that's right next to him where I can look up and go, God, I don't understand. I don't know the why, but I trust you. The third and final ingredient and now this is, uh, how many of you like cake without sugar? Oh, come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dylan, right, yeah. Do you know what they call, in my country, they call cake without, a, uh, without sugar? A biscuit. Anyway, um, here, a biscuit's cookie, right? Yeah, well, roll. A roll? Is that what they call Anyway, I don't know. It doesn't have sugar, and that's all you need to know. It's, uh, now, my dad eats stuff without sugar, but he's a diabetic. I'll give him a pass, okay? But I'm like, cake would not be cake without sugar, and this is the sugar. Look over in Mark chapter 10. You know this story. It's 
So I'm, I'm, I'm going to just kind of introduce it and then read one thing. The rich young ruler. You know, he comes along and uh, he's got questions. Verse 17 and 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Stop right there. Can you imagine if somebody walked in off the street here and just came up on stage and Justin is preaching his heart out and all of a sudden this guy bends down and says, Justin, I heard you teach me how to get to heaven. What would all of us do? Whoa, I'm looking for study. Come on, get over here, man. I mean, I can't, because we love studying the Bible, people. It's awesome. You should see all these changes over here just from the scriptures. And we would get in there and tell them about the scriptures and tell them about Jesus, and we'd tell them about heaven. What, is, what does Jesus do? Whoa, time out, dude. Okay, appreciate the knees. You're thinking heaven, but you got to get something straight. No one is good. Don't you dare call me good. That's our first study. The word for good in Greek is agathon. And it means incorruptibly good. Can't be anything else. There's nothing that can taint it, twist it, turn it, do anything to make it anything but good. So God is agathon. And the reason he says that is because he said, you need to understand that about God. And I... I don't know what his background was. Maybe he had experience like mine and he's doubting God or maybe he didn't know. That. I don't, maybe he came from a long lineage of Jews and, you know, they've been suffering for years. And the whole message of the Bible is just to return to my rest. I'm good. Trust the story. But we, you know, we watch what we, uh, we the things we observe and it has an impact on us and the way we're hurting. Really, God, you're good? And Jesus says, look, he is incorruptibly so I'm in this body I've left heaven I'm in this body I am ten, I'm able to corruption but you got to understand from this point on God is good go read the first 11 chapters of Genesis it's incredible it's all about you can trust God he is love that's his name God is love but not just his name that is what he is and therefore everything he allows and does comes from that goodness I think Jesus wanted to standardize the, what, what is true goodness pain whatever pain you're going through my pain it's like a virus and we know what viruses do they get in there and they start taking over and I believe that if we don't understand that God is good then our pain will eventually take over and destroy our belief it'll slowly rot it or it'll be a fast moving virus I don't know but it will destroy and eat and I had to get back to this place of goodness I had to come back and say I've got tears and I'm hurting and the truth is I may hurt and grieve for the rest of my life because of what I do I get asked to do weddings a lot Weddings are so difficult. They're a joy for me, but they're so difficult for me because I see the dad walk his daughter down the aisle. 
I go to the reception, and it's customary that dad dances with the daughter, and that's about the time I usually leave. If I can't leave, I'll go outside, and I, I just hurt. And it may be that way for the rest of my life. Because you see, nothing has to change in my life. It's just got to change in hers. My prayer is it'll happen in my life. But it may not. So I may deal with this. And I cannot let it eat and rot my belief that God is good. And so now, like any good meal, you, you create this, this dish. And I invite you over. Ooh, this is the test. Are you going to like it? So let's test this recipe out right now. We'll throw it in the oven of life. And we'll pull it out and we'll see. If God wasn't real, we can stop right there. No reason for us to be here. Let's go racing. Let's go back and work at DHL. Let's go do whatever. Let's hope. Maybe we'll get some humanitarian. I don't know, but won't have the same motive. What if God is real and he's good but he's not sovereign. Well, that'd be really frustrating. Can you imagine praying and praying and praying? The truth is, if we don't have a sovereign God, we won't have faith. I'll let you think on that one later. Because you have to have the sovereignty of God in order to believe that he can do whatever you ask for and hope for it. If you don't, he's just this good God. I might as well pick an idol, stick it there and go, and that's what we do. But what if God is real and he's sovereign, but he's not good? Well, we have examples of that all throughout history. Of men who are real and they think they're sovereign and then they dictate, they rule, they destroy. But we have a God who is real, who is sovereign and who is good. Let's close in Isaiah 26. You see, this is why grit is so important. Because we've got to have passion. We've got to have perseverance. And the truth is, this is why suffering is so important. And this is why we glory in it. It means that I accept it. I don't like it, but I do invite it in for tea. And I learn to get, you, to, to get a relationship with it so I can learn from it. I build a connection with it. And then I can tell God. Thank you. And that's the hardest thing for me to do. I can't do it every day right now, but I'm trying to get there. Did I say Isaiah? Okay, good. 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. I'm not sure what pain you're experiencing or will experiencing, but perfect peace is yours for the taking. Set your mind steadfastly on the fact that God is real, He is sovereign, and He is good. May this sustain you in your time of need as it has mine. May it lead you to choices of faith as it is for me. And if we are ever going to display grit, let us do so together as we discover peace and joy in our sufferings in order to hold out hope to a world full of pain, a world starving for peace, a world that deals with doubts and that they need to see my example. When we do that, then we'll be in a place 
that, the, that, the, that, that Satan cannot touch. He can mess with a little bit. I will make it to heaven. And I pray that Xander comes with me. And for those of you who are dealing with things, find out if God is real. Make that decision. Determine if he's sovereign. Have conviction on that. And never let go of the fact that he is good. Thank you.